I think, like in many other fields, we are seeing a major shift between data and theory. It's almost like the data or the data that is possibly available is getting ahead of the theory. Before, we needed a theory first to go and test a hypothesis and collect data in order to test that hypothesis. Now the data is here and we are trying to build, in a sense, a theory, a guidance, a prescription because the data is already here. So that's an interesting tension that is pervasive in many scientific fields involving human behavior and performance these days. When I think about some of yes, the Sam. theories that we have on and some of the psychological phenomenon that we've measured and metric with self-reports, I feel like we've taken it for granted that that is how that construct is measured. But I think some of the theories lend more in-depth data to the answer to it, but we haven't considered that really in some of our theoretical development. We kind of laid out what is cohesion. It has an inherently longitudinal, inherently behavioral component to it as it emerges over time but we measure it with snapshots and that's something that we're comfortable with. But thinking back on the theory, can we not associate it with the kind of data that we're capturing now in a much more realistic way? But it's difficult to make that case in the literature, even though it really does tie to the original theory. So I just thought that that was something. I have a comment, but I, I know Tara has something that she wants to say. <laughs> yeah, I would love to hear your comment after Tara's, Steve, by all means, Tara. I have a lot of thoughts on kind of the data theory balance. My personal experience is that we are a bit ahead of the theory in terms of the data that's available to us now. And what that puts us in danger of is, I think, becoming too atheoretical. So I think we're in this interesting tension of having to create theory. But as Sam said, I think there are concepts and conceptual information within the existing theory that we can't lose track of. And so one of the ways that we handle it in terms of thinking through these unobtrusive kind of novel measurement approaches for cohesion and other kinds of team states is really taking a top-down and bottom-up approach to it. So really grounding what behaviors or characteristics exists that kind of align with how we conceptualize something like cohesion and then matching those to the data that's available to make sure that the indicators and the unobtrusive data that we are pulling into our measurement of cohesion is at least grounded in theory, even if the way that we compile it and end up making the assessment is more data-driven or diverges from what we typically do within the literature. And so I think having that grounding within the literature, within the theory is really important. And I think if we become too a-theoretical to say we have all of this data available from teams and we're going to just throw it in some machine learning algorithms and see what spits out and say this is cohesion, I think we are in danger of ending up in a place where we can't really explain what we're finding. But I think the other challenge with that is even when you go through that process of developing these theoretically driven indicators and gathering data on it, it's still a extremely rich but complex set of data that as organizational psychologists, I don't think we have a way of making sense of outside of bringing in other data scientists and folks like Steve was saying that can help us think about that data in a way that would allow us to think outside of the box analytically. But I think there's decision point and decision point and assumption upon assumption that has to happen when you get that kind of data about how do you aggregate it, not just to the team level, 
but across time. And what are the assumptions you're making that help make those decisions? And so I would say it's easy for us to fall back on that's too complicated. And so that's why I think our field continues to stick with the tried and true. But it's also the fact that we're bringing these novel methods and novel approaches that are theoretically driven, but at a different level of granularity than we typically have measured these constructs. And therefore, there's a lot of resistance in the journal and publication outlets of, are we really getting at the same construct? Is what we're getting at really cohesion? Or is it some behavioral result of cohesion that shouldn't really be called cohesion? And so I think we open up Pandora's box in a good way. But there's a lot of questions that emerge as soon as you start going down this kind of innovative path. I like to think of myself as a theorist. So theory should reign supreme. But I would also point out that methods constrain theory. So most of the theory in my our field is basically constrained by you're going to turn your thinking into a hypothesis with or measures of those constructs. And then you're going to use some kind of correlationally based technique. So correlation and the ability to correlate the data is at the base limiting the way I think about how things work, which is why most of our theories are static and really don't think about how they play out over time. How does a phenomena emerge? That, that's not a correlation that you can examine. You really have to look at really the underpinnings and some different ways of visualizing that data or that phenomena as it's going to manifest. So I really think that rather than this theory has to lead everything, you have to appreciate where does theory come from? Where did Darwin come up with his theory of evolution? He didn't sit in a chair, drink a scotch or whatever, and come up with evolution. He observed. He collected a lot of data and he tried to make sense of the data. So I agree with Tara. There's a danger of relying too much on machine learning techniques where we don't know what the machine knows. So we don't know how it came to that conclusion. Of course, then the quality of the data becomes really, really critical. But there's value in having that data and using those and other techniques to try to figure out what, in fact, is going on here to begin to inform theory. And quite frankly, to begin to get theorists to be thinking more dynamically. Because most of our theories are really static. And even when people think about dynamics, they think here is the theory at time one and at time two and at time three, which is not dynamics, right? Where you have complex connections, feedback loops, things of that nature. So I really think that the methods and the data can help push theory to begin to catch up with these techniques. And we're at that point. We're at that point where that needs to be happening. So... Yeah, I think it's an exciting time if you're interested in dynamics and phenomena and systems, because we now are beginning to see this kind of informing from different disciplines that really help each other out in ways that certainly I didn't get when I was trained as an IO psychologist. Yeah, I think the three of you make excellent points. I think this is a debate that it is not just certainly for team research. It's not even for psychological research. You see that again and again now in pharmaceutical research, in other places like that, when the data advocates who are not theorists say, you know, quantity will trump quality. Mm -hmm. And there is an elegance, at least those of us who got educated in the classical way, an elegance in theory that you don't have in massive amount of data. But that's that tension is, as you said, Steve, is very current. We can turn it into a creative tension. And it's a very exciting time to be a scientist because now you can actually, you have multiple tools at your disposal. You have the data and you have the theories and you have the models. 
and you have the methods and all of these together can lead to a deeper understanding of teams. 